don't let your winter flight operations go slip-sliding away down a contaminated runway. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Back in 2016, the FAA implemented the Takeoff and Landing Performance Assessment to clarify reporting of runway conditions and contamination to pilots. TALPA incorporates the Runway Condition Matrix, or RCAM, which airport operators use to assign runway condition codes of between 0 and 6 for each third of the runway surface. Those codes are then reported via notices to airmen and are intended to be matched against manufacturer-provided performance data to determine landing and braking effectiveness for the specific field conditions. TALPA was a significant step forward in providing flight crews with accurate information about field conditions, especially during wintertime. But it's not yet a perfect system, and each of the last four winters has revealed a little bit more about what's needed to further refine this valuable tool. To help us work through these lessons, I'm pleased to welcome Rich Bull, Chair of the Airspace, Air Traffic, and Flight Technologies Working Group of the NBAA Access Committee and the Association's primary point person on all things TALPA. Rich, we're approaching the fifth winter season with TALPA in effect. Can you tell us a bit about what has changed for business aviation flight crews versus pre-TALPA methods used to determine and report field conditions? Well, prior to the implementation of TALPA, the field condition reports could be interpreted several different ways by the airport that was doing the assessment on the runway conditions. They could be assessed differently by the flight manual material provided. They could be influenced by such reported factors to the pilot as the runway friction measurement reading, what we used to call mu readings. All of this kind of put a lot of information in front of the pilot, sometimes contradictory, sometimes varying from one airport to the next. What TALPA has tried to do, first of all, is to standardize the types of runway contamination in terms of the performance of data that's provided for the aircraft and to the pilot, to standardize the methods for identifying reporting the types of contamination, and assigning a code that is transferable from one airport to the next so that whether we're flying into Beatrice, Nebraska, or to Boston, Logan, if we get a runway condition code, that runway condition code on that runway should mean the same thing. Now, this is an evolving process. What changes are on the horizon for TALPA in the U.S. and for similar reporting standards overseas? Well, in the United States, last year, the release of the SAFO 19001 We expanded TALPA beyond Part 25 transport category airplanes into Part 23 category aircraft. Those airplanes that are not transport category, the FAA is now encouraging those operators to begin applying TALPA as well, and the guidance material pulls them in as well. The biggest thing on the horizon is the global reporting format that ICAO is going to implement. The global reporting format essentially mirrors the U.S. TALPA runway condition assessment matrix, or RCAM, and the runway condition codes. And it was supposed to go in effect November 5th of this of this year, like so many things that's been affected by COVID, 
So ICAO has delayed its implementation until August of next year. Going along with that, the European EASA regulatory authority is moving to make the global reporting format mandatory and legally binding on operations in Europe. Because of that regulatory hook that the Europeans are beginning to impose on the TALPA and the global reporting format, we are beginning to see the U.S. business aviation manufacturers begin to produce the type of landing performance uh, data that we've been seeking for a long time, namely performance data that directly ties to the reported runway condition code so that the pilot can correctly do a time of arrival landing distance assessment. Airports obviously play a key role in ensuring TALPA is an effective tool for business aviation flight crews. For that perspective, we're joined by Brian Lewis, Director of Operations for Centennial Airport near Denver, Colorado. Brian, can you tell us a bit about how your crew assesses runway conditions? Yeah, for sure. At uh, the airport, our crew will, anytime there is contaminant believed to be on the runway, whether it's just water or whether it's snow or ice, our operations personnel will drive the length of the runway and we'll take measurements of that contaminant along the way using a ruler and determining what type of substances on the surface according to the FAA definitions for wet snow, dry snow, slush, ice. And so we will take measurements at several spots. The runway is broken up into thirds and we will take measurements three times per third. And then we will come up with the wording for the surface contaminant for the NOTAM. Uh, We'll enter that into NOTAM Manager, then that will generate the runway condition code. Is there a standard frequency or time frame that you follow for measuring runway conditions? Yeah, there is. We want to go out frequently enough that we catch any changes in the contaminant as that is happening in real time. So with the RCAM, we will determine depths and round up to the nearest quarter of an inch. So it starts out at less than an eighth inch, and then um, from an eighth inch, it goes up to quarter inch, half inch. And then after you get to one inch, it goes in one inch intervals. So we always strive to inspect frequently enough that we are making sure that the norm that we have in effect is accurate at any point in time. So if we're getting heavy snow, it may be just five minutes from the end of one inspection to the beginning of the next inspection. That can vary determined by the precipitation rate, the temperature, the use on the runway. And so a lot of that helps us to determine how frequently to go out. Also, we have a, we're fortunate enough to have a pavement temperature monitoring system in the runway that also assists us with that, uh, especially with determining when wet conditions are going to start to freeze. Uh, and for us, that's really critical in wintertime is, is determining the onset of any uh, accumulation of snow or ice on the runway. Now, it's easy to visualize snow and ice on the runway, but is there a requirement for how the airport reports wet runway conditions, Brian? There isn't a requirement for reporting wet currently, but um, as a best practice, we do report wet. I know that a lot of our operators are really interested in knowing if the surface is dry or if there is some dampness on it. So as a best practice, we do report that. There isn't currently a requirement from the FAA to do that, but I know that a lot of airports are reporting wet conditions as that does affect 
aircraft performance. Our third guest is Ben Kohler, a G650 captain for a Part 91 operator and a member of the NBAA Safety Committee. Ben, how have you incorporated TALPA into your operating procedures and pilot briefings? We've incorporated, uh, since it came out, the R came into our AOM, our Air Operations Manual, along with a little brief discussion of it, and we use it to determine uh, the runway conditions. In reality, for takeoff situations that are reported as less than five, we just don't use it. And the reason is, is that we're a relatively large department. We have a lot of support uh, operations for decisions in those situations. We follow our manufacturer's guidance, which now also incorporates the RCAM into some of their charts. And for us, it's another piece of the puzzle. Primarily, it tells us what, what we can expect, and we use it to compare with other information that we have about the runway or what we've heard about the condition, and just kind of helps us know uh, what we're looking at. Ben, has your training program or provider implemented TALPA into their syllabus, or for that matter, in the simulator? For the training providers, and I used to work for one as an instructor, it, it's really hard to incorporate more things into sim training. There, there simply isn't enough time to do the things that you'd like to do or that you need to do. Um, so that's a, that's a real limitation. Uh, the other thing is I don't know that the sim has the fidelity to really uh, replicate uh, less than normal braking fairly. You generally just seem like you're slowing down at a slower rate. It doesn't really mimic uh, the real-life conditions. As a company, we also discuss it in our annual winter training that we do every fall as we get ready for uh, winter conditions at, you know, at our airport. So, Rich, we've heard from both the airport side and from the operator side on how they're working with the system. What is the expectation for implementing TALPA in these scenarios? We need to keep in mind that TALPA is a decision-making tool. It's not the end-all, the be-all. It is part of your safety or risk management for runway condition assessment and should be treated as such. When we're looking at TALPA, we want to do a pre-landing assessment, preferably at the top of descent point. We want to use the runway condition codes and the performance data provided by the manufacturer. If manufacturer data is not provided, the FAA recommends using the landing distance factors that are provided in the SAFO 19001. We want to look at what the expected stopping performance is. We also want to look at the lowest runway condition code or pilot braking action that can be reported. Uh, It's important to understand, as uh, Brian pointed out, is that there can be some time span between the point where the runway was assessed and the winter conditions are continuing and airplanes are continuing to land. Conditions can deteriorate. The airport's obviously, hopefully, watching for that. But it's incumbent upon the pilot that if we start hearing braking actions that don't correspond with the reported runaway condition because, in other words, they're lower than what we expect, we need to set a threshold below which the runaway becomes unsafe to land on. That brings the final part of the TALPA question of the pilot is we have to give good, accurate braking action reports. And it's important that that braking action reflect the braking that's used, not the deceleration that's used by reverse thrust or anything else that you're uh, using to stop the aircraft. We need to know exactly what the wheel brakes are doing vis-a-vis the performance. So when it's safe, when you're clear and under control and you have time, pass a braking action report based on the RCAM definitions. That helps not only other pilots that are flying the approach, but the airport operator 
because the airport operator starts receiving breaking action reports that are lower than the reported runway condition code. It's an indication of them that the conditions are deteriorating, and now they can go out and take further action to treat the runway. What should operators do or what are they required to do under TALPA when operating into an airport without a current FICON NOTAM? You know, and that's an important thing to understand, too. There are airports, Part 139 airports and federally obligated airports are required to report using the runaway condition code in the FICON format. Airports that don't fall into that area are not required to. Airports are not required to report wet. It's important to understand wet is just basically a damp runway. If there is any form of standing water, that's contamination that needs to be reported. It's also important to understand that the airport operators are not always 24-7. And it's important in wintertime to check the chart supplement and find out when conditions are not reported. If the chart supplement says that conditions are not reported from 6 p.m. local time to 6 a.m., there's not going to be a Vicon modem issue. So if you're operating within that time frame and a winter event is occurring or you have rain, you need to take that into your consideration as well and plan accordingly. So in conclusion, let's put our heads together on ways that business aviation operators and airport personnel can work together to ensure that TALPA is working for all of us. Brian, what can pilots do to make your job a bit easier during the wintertime? Well, having a successful snow removal program is really contingent upon a partnership and teamwork between the aircraft operators, the airport operator, and the FAA tower where there is one. It's really important for us to exchange information between and have a good flow of information between all three of those entities. We rely a lot on the information that we receive, um, as Richard mentioned earlier, from the aircraft operators. Within TALPA and within the RCAM, it's a vast improvement over what the reporting system was previously. However, having said that, there's still areas where not everything that you may want to report can be reported in a NOTAM. So there are two things that uh, come to mind because of that. One is getting uh, timely reports from pilots as to what conditions they experienced upon landing, especially not only braking action, but there may be other things that pilots notice uh, that maybe the airport operator doesn't notice, like maybe there's a particularly slick spot near one of the uh, exiting connectors. Maybe there's uh, some kind of chunks of snow on the runway left over from plowing. So there could be other conditions too that if pilots see those and report those over the radio, that could be really helpful to an airport operator. As Richard mentioned earlier, we'll issue a notum, but then if we do see a trend in breaking action deteriorating uh, in terms of breaking action reports, uh, that will be a good indicator to us to go back out, reevaluate, and retreat as necessary. Although we try to inspect as frequently as possible to catch any changes, depending on resources, that may be the case at all airports. So you may have some variance there as to how often inspections are being done. And because of that, the pilot reports can be play a really critical role in that. Also for us, and I think this is true for a lot of airports, because you can't report everything in a NOTAM. If operators do 
have questions or want a more detailed picture, they're always welcome to call us, the airport operator, uh, over the phone. We can give them more information. I think that's the case at a lot of airports and provide them with most up-to-date information we have. So we certainly welcome that as well. Rich, what would you like to see? I think it's important that we incorporate TALPA into our operations and our training. The increased availability of operational performance data hopefully will bring it more into the training side. I know it's hard to train a lot of things with all the requirements that we have to do in the simulator here these days, but I think there's still an opportunity to put some weather conditions out and at least have the pilots begin to brief the TALPA and brief their landing performance when they're faced with runway conditions that are worse than just wet. I would like to see the airports, uh, particularly the smaller ones, take more interest in reporting the FICONs. We still have an issue, particularly smaller outlying fields, getting the information. I think that's the signal biggest improvement that needs to take place on the airport's side. And then, of course, for those manufacturers who are not providing operational landing data that uh, works with the TALPA. We'd like to see that happen here as well. We understand that that's not going to happen for the older airplanes, but we're looking for it in the newer in-production planes. Rob, if I could, I'd just like to touch upon what Rich just said. I think the um, training part is really critical. We are still seeing a number of pilots coming into our airport in Denver that are not that familiar with the RCAM and don't understand what the numbers really refer to. So we still will get some pilots that land and they will report a three. And only an airport operator can report a three unless you have a pilot out there on the runway with a ruler, they really are able to report a three and a three does not directly correlate to a braking action, which I think is a piece of information that pilots sometimes believe that you can correlate the two and the FAA has made it very clear you can't correlate braking action to the runway condition code. So yeah, I'd just like to second Rich with saying that it is really critical that pilots operating in and out of airports that experience snow and ice, that they are educated on what the runway condition codes mean. If I could emphasize what Brian just said, the airports report runway condition codes, pilots report braking action. So make sure you're using the appropriate braking action terms. Good, good, medium, medium, medium to poor. Poor and yeah. That's something I'm going to take back to our group next week, actually, too, is when we report a braking action, it's not a deceleration rate, it's a braking action. Not every aircraft is going to have reverse thrust, and not everybody's going to use it even if they have it. So I, I think that's a critical difference there. Ben, what else do you think is important for business aviation operators to consider about TALPA? I think from the pilot side, the biggest thing we can do is just make sure that we understand the manufacturer's guidance when we're operating with contaminated runways. Um, I mean, how do they define contamination? The other thing to know is how they actually determine contaminated landing distance. What procedures are they using? I know, for example, on our aircraft, something that we don't normally do is full reverse. Uh, well, a landing distance, a contaminated landing distance in our in our airplane. Uh, assumes that you're going to use full reverse from the moment the nose goes down until you get to 70 knots and then idle reverse to a full stop. I mean, that's just something that we don't normally do, so you can get into trouble there. You need to understand if there's a, a maximum recommended crosswind for any conditions that you have. And then um, usually there's some additional limitations for operating on contaminated runways. In our case, we have to use full flaps. We have to have the anti-skid operable. 
Um, we have to have reverse thrust at least available on one engine. We got to use the max auto brakes. And if we're using the HUD, if you're going to use the HUD all the way down to a landing, because that gives you a flare that allows for a smoother touchdown than you want with a contaminated runway, we actually have to add 1,800 to 2,200 feet to our landing distance. That's a lot. So, um, you know, we need to be aware of all those, all those specific conditions required for those situations. And again, if you get yourself caught, I mean, the only way to get yourself out of a crack really is to be planning ahead. I've had a situation in the past when I was a little bit younger that surprised me, approaching an airport on a clear winter day, a couple of snow squalls in the area, along the radar downwind, a uh, snow squall went over the field and covered a dry runway with two inches of snow. Fortunately, we had the fuel to go delay until they cleared it off, but it made me think of, hey, maybe I should really know what my maximum level of contamination can be and what kind of crosswind I can accept with that before I just uh, land on it uh, in a case where maybe I didn't have enough fuel on it to, to delay. And just be proficient with using the FMS uh, or your performance calculator uh, if that's approved for um, computing your uh, landing distance. And otherwise, use the charts the manufacturer provides. So just staying ahead of the game is the, is the best advice. That is great advice, especially given your example that also highlights just how quickly winter weather conditions can deteriorate. There was no one more surprised that day than me, believe me. NBAA has developed a detailed educational resource at nbaa.org forward slash TALPA to further assist business aviation pilots with understanding and disseminating field condition reporting. And for additional insights on TALPA and winter operations, check out the October 23rd NBAA NewsHour webinar presentation on this subject at nbaa.org forward slash NewsHour. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.